Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam. We are broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And we are streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Remember, you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And remember, you can find us for uh, podcast purposes, uh, wherever you get your podcast, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. So if you're on SoundCloud or TuneIn or iTunes or Google Play, just remember Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you with open arms. Thanks for tuning in. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, so I pray everybody is well. Uh, and we recently uh, concluded the primaries here in Illinois and around the country for that fact. Um, but as the primaries have wrapped up and we are now moving on to gearing up for the November elections, I want to take a moment to first congratulate two candidates that stopped by to talk with the Radio Islam family. Uh, Delara Saeed, who ran for the Illinois state rep, uh, state rep, excuse me, of the 5th District, and Bushra Amiwala, who ran for Cook County Commissioner in the 13th District. Now, even though they didn't win the election, we commend them for having the vision and the tenacity to seek elected office. Now, keep in mind that there were other Muslims who ran for office in Cook and DuPage County, and we certainly applaud them as well, but we had the opportunity to talk with Delara and Bushra in studio, so we want to give them a special thank you. Now, Radio Islam family, when the right people run for political office, they often do so after having already served the people that they're vying to represent. They've been volunteers, service providers, educators, and so on. Now, they don't see public service as a stepping stone, right, for them to hop on to a bigger stone. They don't see winning an election as a feather in their cap. They see these positions of trust as opportunities to do something Muslims and all people of faith, for that matter, should understand. And that is that our value as individuals is determined by our value to society. All right. This is a very important point uh, and a mo motivating force, I believe, for all people of faith. Now, the Muslim community in particular has a lot to be proud of today in that three of the four who ran for public office in Cook County, Illinois, are women, qualified leaders. And we hope that we'll be seeing them again in the future. So we're going to listen to a bit of the interviews that we did with Bushra uh, first, and then we're going to close out with Delara. So um, let's listen and let's let's listen with some appreciation. Uh, and remember that nothing changes unless we are part of the change. Walaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me today. It's surreal that you mentioned that I was in studio in September because yeah. now seeing how much time has flown by, because I remember I recall saying, yeah, it's like six months till the election, mm -hmm. not worrying about it. And now it's two months away, yeah, quite right. frankly. And Time has really sped up, and we've made a lot of progress since then. So when I was last in studio, my name wasn't even on the ballot yet. Petition mm. season hadn't even begun. Um, I needed 380 signatures to get my name on the ballot. Mm. Since then, we've submitted 1,300, 
and have secured the top spot on the ballot as well, which is extremely exciting. Wow. Because for these down-the-ticket offices, um, you are able to garner on 10% more votes simply based on ballot position. So for some of the more municipal offices, if people don't know or aren't familiar with all the candidates, they're more likely to just vote for whoever is on top. And that's historically what we've seen based on an NPR study. (laughs) (laughs) How uh, Was that difficult, securing that top spot? So it's actually kind of interesting because this is the way Chicago does it in the state of Illinois, but other states are different, which I just learned. But it's kind of like a game. Whoever gets there first mm-hmm. gets on top, and that's literally how it is. So myself and the incumbent both got there at 9 a.m. the first day of filing, so we both were technically first. So they literally put both of our names in a hat and picked one out. So my name was on top. Wow. Which is incredible because it's the first time his name has not been on top. And this is the incumbent. Yes. Mm. So I see that as an accomplishment. Absolutely. So people say it's kind of luck, but I mean, being able to garner and having all of that put together, ready to go the first day of filing is an accomplishment in my right. opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. And not being kicked off the ballot for insufficient signatures or inadequate amount of signatures. The quality of them was all good to go. So we made it. Now, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because that is... I think that's just textbook uh, politics 101, election 101. It is to contest the other person's signatures. Uh, And people have been kicked off the ballot just because of that. Yeah, the most famous story is like what Obama did when he was running for Senate. Um, He just got the other woman's name off the ballot. But for me, I didn't challenge his signatures and he didn't challenge mine. Both of us were just like, we have the right to be on the ballot. We didn't touch one another's signatures. Which, thank God, I don't think I personally had the time or resources to challenge his, and nor would I have been happy if mine were challenged. Yeah, that could definitely be uh, tedious and time. Yeah, and that's why we collected three times as many. Um, That's why we submitted 1,300, to make sure that even if they were challenged, we'd still have more than double needed Mm. to secure our spot. So so what's been going on? What what are some of the developments that have taken place since we last had a chance to talk with you? Oh, gosh, so much. So when we last spoke, I'm pretty sure I was struggling with fundraising. I mentioned money a lot. Right. I, this is my first time bringing it up, and we're, what, three minutes in? <laughs> right. Um, so in November, I hosted my first fundraising dinner, mm-hmm. and it was a huge success. I went to a pretty local restaurant, and I shared with the owner that I'm planning on hosting a fundraising dinner here. And I mentioned that I might have around 50 people in attendance, and he, he was like, that's great. My capacity is 120. Good luck. I said, that's fine. Like, what? Thanks for the extra knowledge, but I don't, it doesn't matter. Right. I sold 145 tickets. Wow. And it was great. We had a full house, it was packed, and friends and supporters, a lot of my teachers from my old schools were there, various community members, and the room was buzzing with excitement. And I was so happy. Um, so, since it was a huge success, fundraising wise, we were able to raise $6,000 that night. Mm, wow. Which is awesome. great. And that's, um, apart from what was the cost so we raised actually um eight thousand dollars but two thousand was the cost of like the venue and food and everything which is great um so as a result we're actually hosting another fundraising dinner back on popular demand but also because there are many expenses that i have to take care of and since we last spoke i was assuming i wouldn't need more than ten thousand dollars for this race Mm -hmm. i've raised above that and i can honestly tell you i do need more money one of the main things i'm fundraising for is sending out a county-wide piece of mail to every single registered voter in the district to help get my name out there no one's going to vote for you if they don't know who you are if they haven't heard of your name even if you have the top spot (laughs) on the ballot so 
That's incredibly expensive. That alone is estimated to be $10,000. My attorney was $3,000. Just the retention fee. So it's $225 for every hour we meet. So these are all expenses that I'm pretty transparent about. Like this is what I'm spending money on. This is what I need money for. Nothing else extra. Buttons, t-shirts, stickers. I pay with my own personal funds. Right. Okay. So um, for those who are hearing you for the first time, why don't you just give us a refresher and just kind of tell us about your platform and your um, what's pushed you into the race? Yeah. So the first thing that quote unquote pushed me was someone asking me to run. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that moment when I was coming up with tens and even hundreds of reasons as to why I shouldn't run, there was someone in front of me saying, no, I believe in you and I think you should. Um, and I knew if I thought about it any longer, I probably would not have decided to do this because I thought about it and I realized, okay, what do I have to lose? So I'll briefly touch on who and what shared. So summer of 2016, I had a lot of friends share that they would be voting for Donald Trump to be president. And a lot of my life, I've been trying to sort of disassociate negative stereotypes associated with Muslims. And I realized that I was a hypocrite. Mm. I had the same sort of stereotypes against people who were Republican. So I wanted to get a firsthand look of what it meant to be Republican. What issues do they care about? What policies are they extremely passionate about? And the opportunity came up in my high school to work on our then-Senator Kirk campaign, uh, Senator Mark Kirk, and it was an incredible opportunity. There was an extensive application process. I was his head field intern. I got the position, and I never had to compromise any of my personal beliefs or values on that campaign. All I had to do was ask registered Republican voters a series of five questions, Mm -hmm. and they would later shape policy around it. I didn't have to tell a single person to vote for Kirk. And the first question on that list, don't ask what the other four were, I don't remember. But the first one was on a scale of 1 to 10, how fearsome are you of an Islamic terror attack on U.S. soil? What? Yeah. And everyone would say 10. Very fearsome. People would look around to see if there was like a hidden camera somewhere because there was this Muslim girl with a hijab on that has a shirt that says Kirk on asking them this question. And that's when I realized that people were very fearsome of Muslims in our society, and it's because of the lack of visibility of them. And it was someone on the Kirk campaign who asked me to run for office. They said, we think you'd be great. Like, we love your drive, your energy, your passion. You get along with everyone. They knew they knew I was not a Republican. We were Facebook friends. There was no denying it. Sure. But they're like, you get along with everyone. And that's something that it's a unique trait. And they're like, you should consider running for office. Um, and I thought about it, and I said, okay, would you all support me? And they're like, no, of course not. You wouldn't want our support. We're Republican. And I was like, okay, good point. But they did help me with the logistical process of filing paperwork, of getting my bank account set up. And after that, I was sort of on my own. But since then, I call it a movement because I have 70% of the volunteers on my campaign during petition collection. It was the first campaign they've ever worked on. Really? Yeah, and I feel like I've really been able to engage members of the community at this level of politics in a way that they have not before, especially people who've normally shied away from it. They're like, no, politics is dirty. I don't pay attention. Where it's, it's a lost cause. But no, those people are stepping up and standing in the cold, standing in the rain to get, for example, my name on the ballot and now to promote so, you. So um, what's the difference for you uh, between being a part of Senator Kirk's campaign and now, I mean, obviously that it's your name on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> what's the, the major difference? Uh, do you feel like you have, that you have grown in, in ways that you had maybe would not have foreseen? Yeah. Um, so one of the main things I learned on the Kirk campaign was empathy. And I feel like I always had it in me, but literally hearing the other side, you're like, okay, I see why you would think that way. 
And that was the only things that I really gained from there. But a lot of we did a lot of talking to voters, making phone calls, going door to door. And my campaign is all grassroots. So we're doing a lot of that still. And even though I'm the candidate, quote unquote, I'm doing a lot of I feel like the work that normally you wouldn't think a candidate would. For example, like I have a fundraising dinner coming up. I designed the flyer because I think it's too much back and forth. If I find someone, I'm like, hey, this is what my idea is. Can you put this on there? They send it to me a day later. I'm like, no, can you change that? I just did it myself. And there are things like that, like little things that I feel like I've been able to do. Um, I was collecting just as many petition signatures as any of my other volunteers were. And that's something you often don't see a candidate doing. But I think that's what's really... I don't want to like praise myself, but people have said that's what's admirable about this. You're leading this. from the front. Right, right. And it's not like I know like every single part of this campaign, you know. I know what's going on the fundraising side, I know what's going on the social media promotion side because I'm involved in all parts of it. Um so I think does that answer your question? Uh yeah, it, it sounds like uh it sounds like to me where you were you are you were you had a questionnaire and you were asking people uh, questions, voters' questions. Yeah, yeah. But now it sounds like you are doing way, way more yeah. than that. You're involved in, like you said, you're involved in every aspect right. of the campaign. And I really like that because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that just makes me more and more passionate about this, knowing that I'm involved and engaged in every single aspect of it. And I have more ownership because of that. But um, briefly on what I my platform is, one of the main things would be increasing transparency. And I feel like people roll their eyes when I bring that up. They're like, oh, of course you want to increase transparency. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. But by that, I mean one of the first things that come to mind is people often ask what county commissioners do or what we deal with. And we have a $5.2 billion budget. If you try to see – yeah, $5.2 billion. If you try My to eyes see, bugged. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you try to see where the money is being allocated from that budget – it takes you to a 430-page document. It is my role, and it will be my obligation as your commissioner to break that down into everyday colloquial language so a third grader and, like, a Harvard PhD person both can understand where the money is going. So that's what I mean by transparency. Mm-hmm. Being just very upfront and frank about where the money is going, what services are being utilized. But on the flip side, for example, county care is one of the services that are offered. I'm, I've worked in many low-income communities and communities of color. We touched on that um, when I was here last time. But right. I noticed that a lot of these people are the ones who qualify for county care. And I've asked many of them, are you signed up for this? That's um, free health care that the county provides. Lots of money goes into it. And a lot of them have said no. And my following question is why? And they're like, well, what is that? So it's a lack of awareness. They don't Mm. know about it. And it's our responsibility as our county commissioners to educate our constituents as to what services we're providing. It's I think it's should be embarrassing that so many people don't know what the county commissioner does we should be at the forefront so i really seek to host town halls and forums in all areas of the district i mentioned last time the makeup of my district is pretty interesting because there's this one um the rogers park area is extremely especially a tiny portion of it it's impoverished the average income is extremely low and we also have winnetka and glenview and these are extremely wealthy suburbs and both of these areas are in the 13th district of cook Cook county and you see that a lot of these town halls and forums are in one saturated side it's not spread out so that's what i mean by transparency and another thing that i'll briefly touch on is the idea of a progressive um progressive property tax so we also deal with property tax assessments and by that i like to share a story about when i was younger and how this idea really came to be so 
when we, we used to live in this pretty underprivileged area in Rogers Park until I was nine years old, where I was blessed enough to move to the beautiful, diverse village of Skokie. When we first moved to Skokie, our property tax was $6,000. Um, after about eight years of living there, our property value was exactly the same. My parents' combined income was still pretty low, but our property tax almost doubled to $11,000. And my, I remember That's my mom being, right, I remember my mom telling us that she has to pay property tax property taxes and we were like what's that like what are you paying all this money for and she was so stressed and concerned as to how she would pay him and she talked to almost anyone she could and someone once told her hey just appeal it and my mom came home and she looked at us and she goes what does that even mean and when I say I want to serve as a voice for the underrepresented communities and mm-hmm. my underrepresented generation, sure, really, sure. Um, it's because I have this perspective. And that really changes so much stuff. So I feel like no one would think about reaching out and like translating these documents, for example, or educating especially immigrant families who come from places where I know in Pakistan, we didn't have to pay property taxes. So what do you mean appeal it? Like, what is that form? What does that look like? Where do you submit it? How do you get access to it? When is When are the dates and times? So reaching out to those families in particular and offering like language translation services so that's one of the things so there are two things that go hand in hand with that well uh, uh, it obviously sounds like a, a big part is going to be um, establishing uh, partnerships and just greater mm-hmm. visibility right. uh, with communities that yeah. that are not utilizing services that would benefit them yeah so yeah that that's a huge thing um, there's also some other things that have that have taken place recently um and I'm going to I'll frame this very quickly by saying that uh, you are a you are part of a growing number of uh, Muslim women that are engaging in the uh, political process that are running for elected office. And that has caught the attention of some very serious and uh, well-known publications. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit, a little right. bit about that? Um, so when I announced my candidacy, it was March of 2017, so pretty early. And I didn't know any other Muslim candidates running. Now there's this huge community, not just of Muslim candidates or just female candidates, but first-time candidates. And we all learn so much from one another. So since then, I have gained a lot of very um, healthy media coverage, which has helped me out a lot because I would have been spending so much money on advertisements and newspapers and stuff that I've fortunately been featured in. Uh, One of the main ones that we're talking about today, um, the cover for Time Magazine was released. And myself, along with 22 other first-time female candidates, are on the cover. So that's really exciting because being on the cover of Time Magazine, like, I'm excited. How many copies did you get? None yet, but I'm about to get a lot. Yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh, where can I get my hands on a copy? Um, Another is Scholastic Magazine. So it's the magazine I remember reading as a kid, and I would always admire all the people in the magazine. And it's so funny. I feel like I would look at it, and I would think, man, what do they do to get in this? Like, they're doing such good work. And I'm like, I cannot even fathom that I'm in it. Like, page six. So with that's the New York Times Upfront and Junior Scholastic both magazines I actively used to read as a kid. And it, I saw the question sheet that came with it. So there was like a list of a couple of questions, like a worksheet mm-hmm. after you read the article. And the question's like, what are Bushra Amiwala's next steps? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but wow, like the students are going to be sitting in the classroom and answering these questions. Um, I was featured by Now This, which is also a pretty um, famous media company. Uh, so what are some other major ones? Like various, like the, the Bulge newspaper... Oh, I think when I was here last time, this is another interesting th- thing that happened. Did I talk about P- 
political action committees and soda money? Um, we may have touched on it, but why don't you go ahead and I just feel give like, us a recap? I think this didn't happen yet when I came here last time. So yeah. um, the soda tax was a huge controversial thing that went on with the county. It's sort of the... I'd say people have stamped as what the county does just because of the single tax, but um, this I think this was after the show. So a political action committee reached out to me, and um, they offered to donate $54,500 to my campaign. And I remember sitting with them at a very fancy restaurant, like RL Restaurant, and I was very underdressed because I didn't know what that was. Cool. And we um were taught they were talking about how they really like my message and how i want to represent sort of the working middle class and all other communities that really feel left out and they think that this primary will be historical in many ways in regard to voter turnout and they said well we want to donate this amount of money to you and that's the maximum legal amount you can can in the state of illinois and i was like that's wonderful where does your money come from and they were like various local small businesses in Cook County. I was like, that's great. Like, I love the idea. I love the message. What can, what's the catch? Like, what can go wrong? They're right. like, no, there's no catch. And I was like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, I went home. I looked up their finance reports. And the money came from five companies, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Dr. Pepper, Snapple, and a different Coca-Cola pack. Mm. And, I mean, like Canada Dry wasn't even on there. What do you mean small companies? <laughs> so... Right. Five large soda companies. And I was in a pretty difficult situation because I knew if I took that money, one, it would be more than enough to win this race. I could send out a piece of mail to every voter every single day, every week up to the election. They'd have to know who I am. Right. Um, but I wanted to. I want to be a different sort of politician than all the others are. I don't want to be bought, and I can't be bought, even with that amount. And I don't want to serve corporations. I want to serve all of you, which is why my campaign has been funded by individual contributions and donations. And so I respectfully declined their offer. And now here we are. We're, we still we have raised more than double the amount of money than the incumbent has, mm-hmm. and we've raised the most money. And that really, like I mentioned last time, legitimizes your campaign and candidacy because it shows. Um, how much access you have to various resources and such. That is awesome. Uh, Radio Sound family, we're talking with Bushra Amiwala. Uh, she is running for the Cook County Commissioner's seat in 13th District. Um, so if you haven't heard of her, well, you've heard of her now. She just mentioned that she's on Time Magazine, Scholastic Magazine, which I remember reading uh, in school myself. Uh, so that just tells you how, how long it's been around. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think uh, what opportunities do you feel like exist in uh, county government uh, to, as far as in, in terms of uh, partnerships or maybe new ways of uh, of, of approaching things? Uh, because everything is about it's, it's all about the, the bottom line right now. People people don't want to be taxed more, yeah. but we also recognize that there's there's great value mm-hmm. in the services provided mm-hmm. by the county. Are there any things that uh, that you might look at differently um, that? That, w- that would help to move us forward? Yeah. I think we should really take advantage of our interconnectivity through social media currently, and I hope to modernize the county's office. So currently we have board meetings that can be sort of live-streamed through television, but, I mean, I don't know anyone that watches cable TV anymore, but even apart from that, if you live-stream it online, you can take advantage of the fact that if someone's watching it from the comfort of their home, they can type a question, which would come up to us instantly, which we can answer on the spot, and they can raise concerns like that as well. And I think we, again, should take advantage of our interconnectivity 
And if we want to serve as people who represent our constituents, then what better way than to listen to them and to actively engage them in every step of the process. And that ties into the idea of transparency because there will never be a question or there will never be an excuse for someone to not know what the county commissioner does. Because here is here's all of our live recordings. Watch it. Be engaged. Here, fill out a monthly survey. Tell us what you care about. Come to our town hall meetings. Increase the visibility as a whole of what this role is. And the best way, I think, is to engage members of our community, people who are community leaders, as is currently, um, whether they're running organizations from the bottom up or organizing in various rooms, we need to get them at the political level too, because their voices are so incredibly valuable, and we need to leverage them through this position. Do you see, uh, do you see yourself and uh, some of the other first-time candidates? Do you see this as a as a new wave of, of leadership? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of my campaign slogans is a generation of progress, and this. Regardless of your age, if you're a first-time candidate, you're a part of the new generation of leadership. And it's just seeing the way things have been run and being dissatisfied with them and having a perception that most others do not have to offer. And those who are finding success as first-time candidates, they are finding it because of this degree of genuinity and sincerity, which you can't make up, you can't fake. You can try, but you won't last very long. And that's something that speaks louder than anything else really does. And I think people are almost tired of having others represent them that don't actually represent them. People want someone who they can see themselves in. And what better person than someone who's been engaged in the community? But also, my youth has really played out in my favor. One, people are very impressed when they hear what my age is. But two, they're more likely to share their concerns to me, knowing that I'm a younger person. And I quote people say all the time, like, you won't judge me for saying this, so I'll tell you what bothers me. And, and how, how old are you? Um, I turned 20, oh, like two weeks ago, which is great because yeah. everyone made such a big deal about me being 19. They're like, the Muslim teen. I was like, <laughs> I'm 20 now. <laughs> yeah, and I turned 21 after the general election. So, again, it's a very practical, I think, age to run, and I think I can serve as a voice for many of the people that fit in the millennial age group category. Yeah. Well, it's, it's inspiring. And it's not just inspiring because, first of all, you're in this to win this. Uh, and it's not it's not a, a moral victory that, you know, right. that, that yeah. I was in. There, right. So um, I'm just going to say that we're, we're continuing to uh, pray for your uh, continued you. success. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and, and just just keep keep doing what you're doing and keep us up to date. Let us know. Uh, you know, you're, you're always welcome whenever you're ready to, uh, to come sure. back in and talk to us. Uh, we got two months left. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we'll be looking to see. Why don't you let uh, Raiders Song family know about that fundraiser again real quick yeah. before we uh, cut so out. So my fundraising dinner is on Wednesday, January 31st. It's in two weeks, a little under two weeks. It's at the Holiday Inn Skokie. It's at 7 p.m., but the program doesn't start till 7.30. For, so for those of you who are coming from work, feel free to attend anyways. Take All right, Radio Song family, online. we're going to take a short break. Or, um, but when we return, we're going to listen to some of the uh, interview that we did with Dalara Saeed uh, when we get back. So stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Slam. When dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org slash caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. 
brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back. This is Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. Uh, we're taking a minute to uh, just reflect on some of the conversation that we were fortunate to have with two stellar candidates, uh, Bushra Amiwala and Dalara Saeed. We're going to go ahead and take a moment now to, uh, to listen to some of that interview we did with Dalara Saeed. And that voice, that, that voice that you hear, uh, it is our in-studio guest tonight, uh, my friend, our sister, uh, Dr. Dalara Saeed, who is running for, she's a candidate, who's running for the Illinois State Representative's 5th District. Um, and we're going to have a, uh, just an open conversation tonight about a lot of things that folks don't often talk about, uh, where we should talk about them. We talk about them, you know, in, in, in silos. We talk about them around the kitchen table with, uh, in safe places but we don't talk about them in, in public forums, or at least not often enough. So before we get into that conversation, let me just give you a brief picture of who Dr. Delara is. Uh, she is an educator and community leader for over 20 years. Uh, she's a former teacher and education policy expert who uses her real world experience to help people of all backgrounds succeed. As an eighth grade teacher, she focused on race and pluralism issues in the United States over her career. 
Uh, she's worked with the Children's Defense Fund to disrupt cradle-to-prison pipelines, has facilitated inclusion and equity programs, and has worked with school districts to increase parent and community engagement. At District 203, Delara was mentored by master educators and activists and learned what it make what makes community successful. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikum salam, Tariq. How are you? And please call me Delara. Well, Doctor know, sounds so stuffy. Well, we want to let folks know you are accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, first of all, it's, it's great to have you have you here uh, to have this conversation. And well, first let's just let's just start off. I mean, it's, it's going to be organic. Um, yeah. we're, we're not following a script per se. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first off, you're running for a state rep in the fifth district. Yep. Uh, what what made you decide? To, to seek office. Right, right. Um, and actually, uh, if you'd even asked me about six months ago, <laughs> mm -hmm. hey, Delara, would you consider running for office? And over the years, people like you mm -hmm. and people like me, activists uh, in many different ways, have been asked, right? Like, mm -hmm. hey, step up to the next level. Um, and I have always said, excuse me, and I'm going to keep it clean, <laughs> heck no. <laughs> right. Heck no. I mean, this is for somebody else, right? I, I work behind the scenes. I'm an educator. I'm a daughter of the community, a leader in the American Muslim community, as well as an activist in education and education policy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, of course, a political junkie like you are. I listen to C CNN and I watch at Fox News. I want to get both sides. I have contributed and called and canvassed for a bunch of different politicians and elected officials, but always behind the scenes. Right. And one reason I started to think about this is local, and the main reason I started to I thought about running is actually national. So let me start with the local. As an educator, I have watched our state, Tariq, be 50th out of 50th in education funding. Yeah. Maybe our listeners don't know this. We are dead last. Mm -hmm. When you think about high property taxes, it's because the state only pays for 25% of our schools. Property taxes pay for 75% of our schools. And that's why people are willing to move to neighborhoods where there's high property taxes because they want the good schools there. Therein lies the disparity. Yeah, absolutely. And there are places where we are paying high property taxes and still not getting great schools. And that's a lot of the South Side where it's part of my district. So number one was very local. So as, as an educator on the ground every day, I know what 200 days inside of a school looks like mm. when the social work caseload is so high that students are falling through the cracks when programs are cut and after-school um, skills aren't built you know and so I understand all of this and I've always thought we should have more educators at the state level mm -hmm. children and families of low income and children do not have lobbyists <laughs> they right. don't have lobbyists so mm -hmm. we've got to have a voice for them it should be educators at the state level right. And then in 2016, at the national level, with all our behind the scenes work in our communities as engineers and doctors and teachers and laborers and union workers, we still elected the most divisive president in my lifetime and in probably in the history of the United States of America. Yeah. What that meant is we needed to step up in a different way. So you, we needed to come from behind the scenes onto center stage. Yeah, it is not a time for, uh, for hiding. No, <laughs> no. So uh, tell the Radio Sound family a little bit about 
your background because I know uh, the, the intro was very, very short, but just a, a little bit about what makes you uh, different. Yeah. So um, I'm a Head Start kid mm-hmm. from the city of Chicago. Uh, my dad and mom were a CTA ticket agent and a U.S. postal clerk, union members. In fact, to this day, uh, my dad pays his union fees, and I, and I asked him to tell me why. And he said, we didn't come to the United States as professionals. We didn't come to the United States. And they immigrated uh, in the early 70s, late 60s, as someone who'd already come with degrees. We came to the United States hungry to build a better life. You know and their, their first generation unions, and then when I grew up, I became a teacher. And so our family has two generations of union members. This is the salt of uh, the earth. This is the American story of the people in my communities and my district. Mm-hmm. What makes me different is that I don't have a rags to riches story. I have a story that probably a lot of Americans across this country have. You know, um, Radio Sound family. Now, we mentioned that we were going to be having a conversation about, uh, we threw four words out there. Yeah. We said uh, race, religion, class, and politics. And what you just mentioned, I think, goes to uh, there's a, a stereotype mm-hmm. that, uh, that anyone who has immigrated here, that, th- that the majority of those who immigrated, um, that they, or I shouldn't say the majority, that all that came here, came here with professional Mm -hmm. degrees already accomplished Mm -hmm. ready to kind of step just kind of slide into uh, a position yeah Uh, and what you're saying is that well that's not the case no so um once again kind of going back to the the biases or stereotypes that we have of one another that we don't often get past because my big thing what i've 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 spent many years doing is trying to bring people together having you know honest communication yeah so um yeah. All right. So that's our- and, and really, what makes me different is is that I actually fit the American, you know, like I said, story of the salt of the earth, right? Like this district. And if you are near a computer or on your phone, go on votedelara.com, v-o-t-e-d-i-l-a-r-a.com, and go to the page that says fifth district. And I want you to look at that map. It runs through the heart of Chicago from the Gold Coast to the Soul Coast. <laughs> it runs from Water Tower on Michigan Avenue, um, somewhat segregated, white, wealth, high net worth, sure. through the Loop and the South Loop, progressive, middle class, diverse communities, through the heart of the South Side. Now this is segregated black communities, but they're not segregated by class or profession. In South Shore on 79th Street, you have middle class and you know beautiful black communities with great lawns and living in bungalows. In Greater Grand Crossing, you have transitional communities, uh, working class communities. In Englewood, we have some of the highest crime and some of the um, highest unemployment. It's not by coincidence that the two happen to intersect. And then in Bronzeville, we also have, again, middle class transitional communities. So this is a very diverse community by race, black and white, and everyone in between, by class, rich, poor, and everyone in between. 
gay, straight. We have two um, beautiful masjids, Masjid al-Ahsan and the Downtown Islamic Center, very different. We have a couple of synagogues. We have a Mormon church, a Buddhist temple, Catholic churches, and a slew of beautiful African-American uh, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, and um, uh, life centers. And so this is a slice of America, and what makes me different than any other candidate is that I'm a slice of this community. I'm a bridge builder. I am a bridge builder across all of these spaces, and that's what we need in America right now. We need bridge builders because leaders are dividing us. Mm -hmm. Our own issues and baggage that we're bringing are dividing us. And we need elected officials and the next generation of leaders to talk about how do we build bridges, coalitions, and work together. All right. So in your, in your time now, we've been out meeting community members, uh, folks in the 5th District, mm -hmm. uh, with such a broad variety uh -huh. uh, uh, present within the, with, uh, the demographic representation. Uh, what has been your experience thus far <laughs> with that variety? So I'll knock on a door in the South Shore or Greater Grand Crossing. Mm -hmm. Someone will open the door and they'll say, hey, wow, you know, <laughs> surprise, because that's not the typical person they're going to see at their doorstep. Right. Um, and, and I'll say, hi, my name is Dilara Saeed. You know, I'm running for state representative. I've been a teacher and I've been a small businesswoman, and now I'm tossing my scarf into the ring. They'll <laughs> chuckle and they'll say, you know, assalamu alaikum, uh, my, my brother's Muslim, or my father was Muslim, or they'll say, I'm dating a Muslim. <laughs> right. That I'll hear that more often than you will think, Tariq. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't surprise us because actually 30% of American Muslims are African Americans. Yeah. And they are a, they have a beautiful heritage of remembering this this beautiful faith from people in their families and bringing multi-faith families together. Every once in a while in the South, I have heard, "Well, you're not black, but you're not white." <laughs> <laughs> and then when we talk about the issues and we talk about my story and their story, and about us wanting a better education system for our kids and about us wanting to make sure that there's jobs and economic security and better wealth for people of color. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when we get to the heart of it and the essence of it, when I talk about being the mother of a son who's 24 years old, who's brown and his last name is Saeed, mm -hmm. and that last weekend he was out and I got up in the middle of the night on Saturday morning around three o'clock and Sajid's door was open and I knew he wasn't home. And the fear that gripped me, that resonates in all our communities as parents, in our communities of color, in our communities where there is gun violence. And I ended up texting Sajid, because I don't want to be the doting mom, he's a grown up man, right? right. I texted him three words, three letters, yeah. U-O-K. Yeah. with the question mark. Mm -hmm. And for the next 15 minutes, I just sat making dua and prayer. And then he texted me back, yeah, sorry, we're just playing video games. We're out later at night, I'll be home soon. Right. But right. that resonates with people. It doesn't matter if I'm not from the South Side right now. Mm -hmm. I grew up knowing this kind of life. 
And now I'm living this life as a as an adult parent, and that that under that people get it. Yeah. On the other end, Tarek, mm-hmm. you and I, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, I knock on the door on the Gold Coast and somebody opens the door and they're like, wow, <laughs> again. And I share who I am. And even there, I have heard comments like, this is great. You know your issues. They ask me about finances. They ask me about budget. How will I generate revenue in Illinois? And I talk about those issues and I tell them what I think. And he goes, well, I agree with a lot of your policies. You're not white and you're not black. So I will get on both sides of this district an interesting take on my skin tone. And you what know, Reverend Sanders, if I can <clears throat> say one more thing, no, Reverend ahead. Sanders, who's a, a great uh, supporter of mine, has said, Delara, I think we people will realize you and I may not be the same skin tone, but we are the same kind. And maybe that's what we're looking for, someone who is our kind. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and it does take a lot of uh, deliberation. It takes a lot of uh, intentionality to move to move beyond. Uh, And I I almost feel really kind of hokey saying move beyond, but to move in a direction that's not totally determined or stuck in the past. Um, We know that Chicago's neighborhoods are a result Mm -hmm. of, you know, historical redlining and segregation. you know this this is fact uh, and a lot of those attitudes of separation they still manifest themselves in our in the way we see uh each other and when it comes to how we vote uh who we will you know who we listen to who we take seriously so even when you mention you know uh, somebody somebody coming to the door and saying well uh you're not white and you're not black <laughs> you know um but you're well, not black right. <laughs> like literally a white right. person said that to me I'm like so Great. like uh yeah, would we have would we have given you the time of day? Yeah. If if yeah. you were black. Yeah. Or if you were white, would we have looked at you looked at you as just another, you know, a typical politician yeah. uh, coming through? Yeah. So, um, oh, I have to mention this really quickly, just in terms of the Muslim presence in Chicago, uh, Radio Sun family. If you don't know, if you're not aware of the history of African-American Muslims in Chicago, mm-hmm. then that is that is definitely worth your while mm-hmm. and looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to uh, not just, um, well, we know the, the Nation of Islam uh, uh, with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad mm-hmm. uh, and then his son, uh, Imam Mwafdi Muhammad, uh, that that community has been growing, uh, which I'm a, I'm a product, I'm a product of, of, mm-hmm. of that community, mm-hmm. has been growing since the the 50s mm-hmm. um so there are a lot of folks who may not come to the masjid but they still have muslim names mm-hmm. they still recognize they respect islam they respect muslims so i'm not surprised at all that you knocked on doors and were greeted with assalamu alaikum absolutely absolutely in fact go to mosque mariam i mean people should go for either juma prayer or a sunday um uh, lecture series mm-hmm. it's a beautiful mosque it yeah. is a beautiful community Mm-hmm. And we we have to engage with each other. Absolutely. And like I said, there are two mosques in the district. Uh, one of them is in the heart of Bronzeville, historic mm-hmm. Bronzeville, mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, Imam Madyun's Mosque, Masjid al-Ahsan, another beautiful mosque. And when Imam Madyun is giving khutbah, I'm just 
that is my that's my fuel for the rest of the week. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, I mean, you, he, these are the brothers, you know, that that speak to us as Americans, speak to us as parents, speak to us as community members, and we love it. We yeah, love alhamdulillah. Got to hear it. So, um, let's talk about uh, your work as an educator, mm -hmm. because if Illinois is ranking 50th out of 50. <laughs> Uh, and, and this is something that all parents want, a good education for their children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, the key to education, and I'm, I'm a pragmatist. Um, clearly, uh, we seek education for the purpose of knowledge and the purpose of, um, you know, being creative thinkers and, and all of that. But education is also supposed to prepare us. It's supposed to prepare us with skills. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to prepare us with the critical thinking capacity to build a life, to have economic security, to be ready for jobs, businesses, and entrepreneurship. And really, that's what that's what I see as our role. When when it really uh, pains me that we're 50th out of 50th, it's because we are shortchanging young people to be prepared to have skilled jobs. I don't think in Illinois you get through kindergarten through college, uh, through high school mm -hmm. in m too many schools across the state. White poverty areas black poverty areas, um, many vulnerable communities. Uh, we are not getting kids ready for the next step in life. You know, most politicians, in being a pragmatist, yeah, right. revenue does not just grow on trees. Mm -hmm. um, we have to have a way to fund uh, education in a way that allows equal access, equal um, uh, achievement. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about moving away from or in, or adding on to uh, an educational system that is financed through property taxes, yeah. what are some of the, the what are some of the, the ways that we can actually make that a reality? Yeah. So actually, K twelve education is financed through property taxes. Higher ed is actually also an issue in the state of Illinois. I mean, there's a lot. We're, we've got a brain drain of college students leaving because you know what? They're not getting their MAP grants or their scholarships. If that's a roll of the dice that you're going to actually get the scholarship you're owed, then you will go to a different state and get that uh, scholarship, or or go to a state school in a different state. Actually, my education I started with Head Start preschool for low income children. Children. Mm. That's it. My parents could afford preschool. It had to cost nothing. And so I started with Head Start Preschool, and my college education was with a Pell Grant. I would not have made it through college without supports. And so these are the supports our, our students need. We have to generate revenue. Illinois has to have more state revenue. Okay. All right. We've got a caller. We yeah. want to go ahead and um, welcome to Radio Islam. Uh, I just wanted to know a quick question. What are some of the first issues that you would address mm -hmm. if elected? Sure. And actually, that speaks to what uh, Tariq was asking just now. now. Tell me your name, sister. Sakia. Sakia. Very nice to meet you, Sakia. Thanks for calling yep. in. Um, number one, it would be so there are things that local politicians and elected officials have to do, mm -hmm. and they're in the purview of your alderman, 
or your county official, and there are things at the state. So remember, I'm running as a state representative candidate, so you wanna know what I can do at the state level to help these issues. Yeah. Number one is education funding has to be straightened out at the state. So what I said earlier about the state gives you, wherever you, do you live in the city of Chicago, Sakina? Yeah. Okay, the state gives your school 25% of its funding. The local community and your property taxes and the city gives the 75%. The first thing has to change is that ratio. These property taxes are way too high because they include so much of the education funding. So the first thing I would do is make sure that state officials, I'd build a coalition of education uh, um, state legislators. So in, this is not a Chicago problem. In Peoria, we have this problem. In Elgin, we have this problem. In parts of Springfield, we have this problem. So I would build an education caucus. We would focus on righting the wrong in education funding so that we are giving more than 25% from the state to a school. The second thing I would do is give incentives for communities to bring businesses into their communities. Parts of the fifth district are the economic engine of Chicago, the loop, and Magnificent Mile. They run the economic engine of Chicago. But there are parts of this district that are completely divested, everywhere from Bronzeville through Washington Park down to Greater Grand Crossing, has huge talent and opportunity. Why aren't we bringing businesses, one, to those areas and employing community members right there? We can incentivize that at the state level. Number two, we can make sure that we're incentivizing entrepreneurship with loans and microloans um, for black women who want to start businesses, young couples who want to make sure that they've got a, a strong childcare system so that they can then start their own business. So we've got to bring an economic engine into this community. That would be the second thing I would do, Sakina. And the third thing I would do that at the state level has to be done is guns curbing access to guns. Now, you can say, oh, well, that's just a Southside problem. No, it's not. It's actually a statewide problem. Illinois is importing guns, illegal guns from states. All right, Radio Islam family, I would work our show, our time has come to an end. Uh, we want to thank you for tuning in, for joining us, uh, to reflect on the contributions and hopefully the inspiration that uh, we found in the candidacy of these two individuals, uh, Bushra Amawala and Dalara Saeed, uh, as well as all those uh, others who have thrown their uh, hats in the ring. Um, so at this point, we wanna thank our engineer uh, over at WCEV, and we thank you all for tuning in. I'm your host, uh, producer and engineer for tonight, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And as always, the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. And with that, I am going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.